Tonight we are continuing on in our sermon series, Thrive at the Movies. Uh, If you weren't here last week, we talked about Band of Brothers, and the entire message was about how the church is meant to be a place of unity, not division. It's meant to be this place where we can come together, where we can be real, be loved, and belong. Tonight we're going into our next movie, and I'm really, really excited about it. The inner nerd in me is coming out hardcore, Uh, but we're talking about The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. Uh, First off, how many of you guys have seen The Hobbit? Just a show of hands. That's pretty good, actually. You guys are awesome. If you haven't raised your hand, you guys suck. No. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Scratch that from the podcast. I don't mean that. I love you. No, but this podcast, uh, this uh, rather movie... If you've watched it, you know that it is long. It is a long, stinking movie. And so watching it for this sermon, uh, I watched it three times. So that's nine hours of my life that I'll probably never get back. So appreciate this message, okay? That's all I want to say. But this is a story about a hobbit named Bilbo Baggins. And this guy, throughout the entire trilogy, is finding his calling. And it all starts with an invitation. And the reason that I'm so excited about this uh, message tonight is because I feel like it really relates to me personally and the call that I feel like God has put on my life to be a pastor. I want to share a little bit about that with you. Uh, From the time that I was like six years old, I was walking around with the Bible telling my mom I wanted to be a preacher someday. Uh, Now, don't take that as a, a heavy thing because I also wanted to be the president of the United States, a circus clown, Um, an astronaut, a teacher, and probably 20 other things. And and I realized that this calling, this what am I made for, was not going to be an easy thing for me to find. Uh, My senior year of high school, I interned here at the church. And uh, I really, really enjoyed getting to be uh, involved with the youth group, uh, planning things, hanging out, going to conferences and things like that. Uh, But still, I was questioning, you know, what am I going to do for college? I was looking at schools, wondering if I wanted to do sports in college, um, trying to figure out what I wanted for my life. I had kicked around the idea of going to school for political science. I actually thought about being a lawyer, believe it or not. And um, the thing that actually convinced me to do ministry was one night. Um, One night when I was invited to a party and I decided to go. Uh, Now this party, uh, the invitation came from my high school sweetheart at the time, so you know that I wasn't going to say no to the invitation. Um, This was also a party that was going to be on the heels of a one-week-long vacation that I had just gone on with one of my friends. Um, I want you to know that during that one-week vacation, we probably slept a total of five hours. The following day when we got home from vacation, um, you would think that like a normal human being, I would use that time to recover, to sleep. But that night, the new Transformers was out. And my dad, because we have priorities in my household, took me to the midnight premiere of Transformers. And so I had a total of maybe like eight hours of sleep going to this party throughout an entire week. And so I was absolutely exhausted, but I went anyways. I answered the invitation. And so it got later, 11, 30, 12, and I realized it's probably time for me to go. Well, on my way home, I fell asleep at the wheel. Some of you guys know this story, some of you don't. And because I fell asleep, I ran into a guardrail and a light pole, kind of demolishing both and hanging off of this overpass. Also, uh, you should know that the car was not a clean title. And so what the the person who sold this car to my dad didn't tell him was that they didn't put an airbag back into the car. And so on impact, uh, I was knocked out, unconscious. And um, it's pretty scary stuff uh, because when I woke up, you realize, you know, you're disoriented, you've just been in an accident, and you realize that your car's on fire. 
And so you try to figure out, why am I here? Why is the car on fire? And so once I finally figured that out, I realized, man, i got to get out of the car. And so I start trying to open the door, come to find out the door's jammed. I can't get it open. And I just want to tell you, there's a lot of things you think about when you think you're probably going to die. Um, you think about your family. You think about the people in your life that you haven't talked to God about. The people in your life that you haven't said, listen, there's this guy named Jesus, and he can save your life. You think about how empty your life really is. You think about wasted opportunities. And you ask yourself, if I were to die right now, what am I leaving behind? Is it something that matters? Is it something important? I woke up, the next thing that I remember from that moment was waking up in a hospital room completely unharmed. Somebody had come by and pulled me out of the car. And it was on that night that I realized that God had a call for my life. He had something bigger for me than what I had been settling for. And it was ministry. And the reality is, if you're in this room tonight and you claim to be a Christian, God has a call for your life too. He has a purpose and a meaning for you that is so much bigger than just living life day to day without any purpose or passion. J.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Hobbit, uh, was a Christian, and while he was interviewed on The Hobbit, and he said that he didn't purposefully write Christian underlying um, facts or things that uh, are allusions to Christianity, he did do this one thing. He was a Christian who wrote from a Christian's perspective about a Christian's calling. So the story of The Hobbit starts with um, old Bilbo in this uh, first series of The Hobbit. It's the older Bilbo Baggins, and he's writing about his life. He's writing about the experiences and the adventures that he has had. And he's writing this to his young protege, Frodo. And we see really quickly that this movie is about life calling. This whole movie is about life's calling. It's about an invitation that we all have, and we have to decide whether to say yes or no, whether to respond to that invitation or not. And the reality is, the, the answer yes or no, both can change your life. They can both change your life. I want to go to scripture, so if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 16. And this is a passage of scripture that um, I've held on to since that time of realizing that I was called to be a pastor. And it's really good for anybody in the room, Christian, non-Christian, anybody. It's really powerful stuff. I want to read it. It says, you didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you and put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil as fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives to you. Know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you and not to abandon you. Plans to give you future that you hope for. That tagline was from Jeremiah 29:11, And I think that they go really well together because when you read that, you read about a fruit that doesn't spoil. You read that, that we didn't pick God. You know, a lot of times I think when we come to Christ, we're like, Man, I deserve a pat on the back because I decided I was going to be a Christian. But the reality is God has chosen us. And I think that that's really amazing because when I think about my life and who I am and my ability and all these things, the reality that God picked me is unbelievable and overwhelming. But God called us. And what did he call us for? If you're a Christian in the room, he called you for this purpose. He says to bear fruit that won't spoil Basically, what that means is for things that are eternal. You see, so often in our life, we, we fight for this purpose. We, we fight for this passion for something that's just going to die. Whether that's a name on a door, you know, the job that pays the most or the best. Um, whether that's a relationship with a person, 
uh, that you put all of your weight and time and effort into instead of having a relationship with God. Um, whatever it might be, we, we sow into these things that just die. But you see, our call, our purpose as Christians is to sow into things that last. You know, that fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. And Scripture says that Christians are known by their fruit. Would you answer to the call and start reaping that fruit? Would you start sowing into those things that actually last and matter? As we watched in The Hobbit, Gandalf comes to the door of this hobbit hole of Bilbo Baggins. Now Gandalf, for those of you guys that don't like The Hobbit, um, that aren't nerds, Gandalf is this wizard, and he's probably the most powerful person in all of the uh, Lord of the Rings Hobbit series. And he represents the Christ figure. And Gandalf, when he's knocking on the door to Bilbo Baggins' house, it made me think of this verse where God says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever hears my voice and answers, I shall go in too. See, the reality is, in this room right now, if you're not a Christian, Jesus is at the door knocking. And you have the option to either go answer that door or to pretend like you don't hear him. But he's there waiting to invite you in to his kingdom and to his plans. See, what happens, though, is we've reduced Christianity into a place of contentment. We've reduced it into this thing that is so small. We think that Christianity is just a one and done, where you go to church camp, you get saved, and your life never changes again. Or you come down the aisle and you accept Jesus in your heart, and that's it. But Christianity is a pursuit that never ends. It is something that we seek until eternity comes. When you're going after things eternal, that means you have to keep going until eternity, which means until you're dead. Hear me out tonight. If you're not dead, you're not done. If you're keeping notes, put that in your phone, tweet that. That is good stuff. If you're not dead, you are not done. You see, we see time and time again that uh, this calling is not an age-bound thing. You know, David got called when he was a teenager, a tweenie. That's when he did what he did for God. That's when the epitome of David in his heart was shown. But then you have people like Abraham, who was 75 when he was called. 75 years old. And I want to read this, Genesis chapter 12. It says this, God told Abram, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. Now, Abraham is 75 years old. Can you imagine what he was thinking when this call was put on his life? I think if I was Abraham, I would say, dude, I've already put my time in. I've already done what I was supposed to do. And maybe that's you in the room tonight. You know, you might not be 75 years old, but you might be feeling like this. I know for me, when I got to college... You know, I'm like, I'm supposed to be a pastor student, but I've done what was right all through middle school. I've done what was right all through high school. I want a chance to live my life. Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought about that? But God says, no, you are not finished. God called Moses when he was 80 years old. You see, the reality is God will continually call you out of your comfort zone. We see here in this clip from The Hobbit, where Bilbo Baggins is called out of his comfort zone. Would you watch? Dear Bilbo, what on earth is the matter? What's the matter? I'm surrounded by dwarves. What are they doing here? Oh, they're quite a merry gathering. Much can you soon. To get used to them. The state of my kitchen. There's mud trotting the carpet. They've pillaged the pantry. I'm not even going to tell you what they've done in the bathroom. They've all but destroyed the plumbing. I don't understand what they're doing in my house. 
I'll be all right. Just let me sit quietly for a moment. You've been sitting quietly for far too long. Tell me, when did doilies and your mother's dishes become so important to you? I remember a young hobbit who was always running off in search of elves in the woods. You'd stay out late. Come home after dark, trailing mud and twigs and fireflies. A young hobbit who would have liked nothing better than to find out what was beyond the borders of the Shire. The world is not in your books and maps. It's out there. I can't just go running off into the blue. I am a Baggins of Bag End. Sorry, Gandalf, I can't sign this. You've got the wrong hobbit. How many times have you said that to God? God, you just got the wrong guy. I'm comfortable where I'm at. I'm good where I'm at. You know, one of those lines that I think is so powerful is this. When did your mother's doilies become so comfortable for you? I mean, that's the diss of all diss. Like, all disses. Like, like when did you become such a wuss? God has not called us into this life of comfortable living. When did we equate Christianity to the books that we read? You know, I think it's really true when he says, life doesn't happen in those books. It happens out there. And the reality is so many times we, we just want to stay in our homes. We want to stay in our shell. We want to stay in the church. We want to stay in our comfort zone when God is calling us to go out and be the church. When God is calling us to be that person at our job, be that person at school who steps outside our comfort zone. You see, the life of a Christian is one that is filled with adventure. God is not boring. Whoever told you that church was meant to be boring is a liar. If you've grown up in a traditional church with an old pastor who's crusty, I'm sorry, but church was never meant to be boring. God has not called you to live a boring life. He's called you to live a life that is reckless but grace-centered and led by Jesus Christ. That's what God has called you into, and that's exciting. That's something that is worth being passionate about. You see, all these times, you, you have people that say, I can't do that, I, I'm not able, I, I just, that's not me. Well, the reality is, once you start doing it, it's like this fever that you catch, and you can't help yourself. You're going to start doing things and changing people's lives in a way that you never, ever, ever imagined you could ever do. Because the reality is, once you start doing that, it's not you doing those things. It's God through you. But you have to answer the invitation to go. You have to allow him to come into you to do those things. And that's that life abundant that Christ promises us. See, life apart from Christ is not abundant. It's boring. But that's not what God has called each and every one of us into. I want to read scripture again. Because another point that I find in The Hobbit is this. Sometimes God believes in you more than you believe in yourself. Amen? God believes in you more than you believe in yourself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, I, that's where we're going to start. I love this passage of scripture. It says this, Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretentiousness of somebodies. Wow. Wow. 
That's pretty powerful. You see, God decided to choose the lowly, the meek, the ones who weren't important or influential. It says that before he called you, he knew that you were all those things, but he decided to use you anyways. You know, I I think it's interesting that Tolkien decided to use these uh, dysfunctional dwarfs to represent you and me, to represent the disciples in the Bible, because in reality, that's exactly what they were. These people that were chosen men of God were just as jacked up as you and me. I mean, look at Peter's life. Peter was a person who constantly was denying Christ. You know, talk about being a bad person or making a bad decision. How about denying Jesus multiple times? But you see, still, God knew, knew, I can't speak, God knew that Peter was going to do that. And still, Peter becomes the head of the church. Why? Because Peter kept getting up in the face of failure. You see, I don't think God calls us because he knows that we're going to be good. I don't think God calls us because he knows we're qualified, but he calls us because he knows that we are persistent. And you see, Peter stepped out to do the impossible in response to God's call. Can you imagine being in Peter's situation, getting called to step out of a boat in the middle of a storm onto water, onto the waves? And I think for a lot of us, if we stop and think, a lot of times in our lives, God has done that very thing. Whether we were aware to it or not, God has said, I don't care what your circumstance is right now. I don't care what waves surround you. Listen to my voice. Listen to the call that I'm putting on your life. Because what happened was, when Jesus called out to Peter, he did what was impossible in the face of man. Luke says, with God, all things are possible. So it's impossible is not an excuse for you anymore. Saying you're not qualified is not an excuse for you anymore to not live a life that is full and live a life that is passionate about Jesus Christ. You see, he calls those people who are lowly. If you feel like you're an unqualified person, guess what? You are a prime person for Jesus to call. Fair warning. God's probably going to do something through you if you just answer the invitation. Another thing that I um, think is a key theme here in this movie, and I think it's really appropriate because I feel like these messages that we've had recently build on top of each other, and it's this, that you should travel in a group. You know, the whole message last week was about being a band of brothers, this group of people who could be authentic and have real relationship, to have accountability and bring these things in our life that are hard, that are broken, that are ugly, to the surface so that God could take care of them. You see, in this movie, we see these group of people that travel together because when one man falls down, they can pick the other person back up. You see, I don't know about you, but I know that our culture today sometimes says, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. You know, I see that more and more frequently. But the reality is the church is an important thing. God wouldn't have given us this community if he didn't want us to utilize it. See, we're not meant to live this life lonely. Uh, There's this image in the movie, and if you haven't seen it, it's throughout the whole trilogy. And it's this image of a dragon. And the thing that fuels the dragon, the thing that makes this dragon come out, is man's own sin. It's the dwarf's lust for gold. And every single time one of the dwarfs were to wander into this lust for riches, for gold, you see the dragon coming out. See, in your life, if you try to do this thing by yourself, eventually there's going to come a day where that temptation, that desire, that sin, whatever it is, that dragon in your life is going to come out and it's going to eat you alive if you don't have community. 
So you have to learn to travel in a group of warriors who are going to hold you up, who've got your back, and who aren't going to let you walk the dragon on a leash. The last point that I think is really significant for us to understand from this movie is that we have to stay awake, sober, and alert. Stay awake, sober, and alert. When we watch this movie, we see these dwarves, a lot of which who drink a lot, who goof off a lot, and a lot of these people who lose focus for what their mission actually is. So often we do the same thing. Uh, I think it's interesting, again, that Tolkien uses this word paradise. That's what the dwarf's home is called. Ironic that the same word in scripture for heaven is used here for the dwarf's home that's taken away from them. And the reason that they lose paradise is because of that lust for gold. That's why they lose their home. Uh, This isn't on the screen, but this is something else that if you're taking notes, I want you to put it in your phone. Um, Just keep it somewhere, and it's this. Too often as Christians, we fall asleep on the job, we become drunk on apathy, and we're unmoved by the rustle of lost people dying and going to hell. I want to say that again to make sure you got that. Too often in this life, we fall asleep on the job, we become drunk on apathy, and we're unmoved by the rustle of people dying and going to hell. I want to break that down. Uh, In Scripture, we see an example of this, falling asleep on the job. When Jesus is praying in the garden and his men are supposed to be watching out for him and they all fall asleep. How many times in your life have you fallen asleep on Jesus? How many times in your life have you let life get a hold of you? And you started going through your day-to-day life and slowly but surely Jesus was not the priority. Slowly but surely um, your job became priority, work became priority, school became priority over everything else, over God And you started to live in this delusional world that was almost like a dream because we were asleep. We were asleep to the call that Jesus has placed in our life. How many times have you been so apathetic that nothing in your day is full or fulfilling? You know, I know that I've struggled with apathy before. Where I just feel sorry for myself. You know? I'm sure I'm not the only person in the room who has felt like that before. And what happens is, if you live a life filled with apathy, when you get to the end of the road, the end of your life, and you've done nothing, you've never caught on to that fire, you've never had a passion about anything, the only thing you leave behind when you die is a headstone. And I don't know about you guys, but when I die, I want to leave more than a headstone for my family and for God. I want my life to matter for something. And so does God. That's why he's placed this call and given us this purpose. We just have to allow him to to fuel that fire in our heart. And we have to remember to stay on mission. We can't get distracted, guys. That's what the enemy loves to do. Um, One of the things I heard one time when I was in Bible college was, if the enemy knows that he can't beat you, he's going to do everything in his power to distract you. Think about that. You might still go to heaven, but how many more people could you touch and how many more lives could you change if you just stayed to the course? If you just kept your focus? We see here in this next clip that Bilbo Baggins is struggling with this idea of staying on mission. Uh, His mission was to stay with this group of people, but yet he was being pulled by this uh, desire to be back home where he was comfortable. Let's see how he handled the situation. It matters. 
I want to know. Why did you come back? Look, I know you doubt me. I, I, know, I know you always have. And you're right, I often think of Bag End. I miss my books. And my armchair, my garden. See, that's where I belong. That's home. And that's why I came back. It's... You don't have one. A home. It was taken from you. But I will help you take it back if I can. Isn't that our call, guys, right there? Bilbo Baggins had a home. He had a place where he was comfortable, where he was loved, where he was safe. But you see, he came back for his friends because they didn't have a home. And there are so many people in the world who are like those lost dwarfs who don't have a home who are waiting for somebody who knows where they live, who knows where they're going when they die, to come and show them the way home. And it's up to us, guys. It's not just gonna happen. And maybe you've slipped into this mode where you're comfortable believing that it's somebody else's job to be that person who talks to your cousin or to your friend or to that guy at work that you just really don't like. It's on us. It's time for us to step out of that comfort zone and start bringing people home. But you see, it starts, it all starts with us saying yes, with us saying yes to the invitation that God is giving us to be a part of his family. And maybe you're in this room tonight and you have never received Jesus into your life. Maybe you know that you've been trying to do this thing on your own and you know that there's something more out there for you. You know that God has been trying to get a hold of you, but you just haven't surrendered. I want to encourage you to not wait. I want to encourage you to answer that invitation and not just leave it sitting on the fridge. I want to tell you a story. This story was about an up-and-coming artist. She had worked her butt off to finally get her big break. She had slaved away hours upon hours writing songs, trying to come up with something creative and inspiring and thrilling, something that would top the charts. And finally, after bouncing around from homeless shelters because her part-time waitress job just wasn't cutting it, she thought she might have had her big break. She was discovered, and she was invited to be the, the keynote person at this event to be the center of attention, the focal point, the reason for the celebration. And it was, it was at this huge gala in New York City. Anybody who was anybody was there in attendance. The red carpet was out for her and she walked down it and the paparazzi were flashing pictures of her and she knew that it was her moment to shine. And she got on stage and she sang one of the most beautiful songs that had ever been sung. Immediately the tweets were firing off and song shot to number one on the iTunes chart. Her life had changed. Afterwards, her and her boyfriend were going to go to the after party. And so they started to walk down the aisle and they were greeted by the 
bodyguard who was standing at the door. And he said, what's your name, ma'am? And uh, she gave him his name, or she gave him her name. He starts flipping through his book of names. Sure enough, her name wasn't on it. So she said, he said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but your name, it's not on the list. She says, what are you talking about? I've done all these things. I've worked so hard. I've built this amazing thing with my music. I finally made it. What do you mean? The whole event was about me. What do you mean I'm not on the list? And he said, well, let me look again. And he flipped through the pages and again said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but you're not on the list. I can't let you in. And so her and her boyfriend began walking away from this huge gala. She seemed so defeated and then suddenly this look just hit her face of complete disappointment. And her boyfriend said, honey, what's wrong? What do you think just happened? And she says, I forgot to RSVP. See, the reality is so many of us fit that story. And maybe you're in the room tonight and you've been building into this kingdom. You've been working for something that was gonna make your name famous. There's going to be a day where you have to stand. Stand facing our maker. And he's going to look through the book of life to see if you have surrendered to a God, if you've made life about him and not about yourself. If you have surrendered to his call, is he going to say, I'm sorry, your name's not on the list? You see, you have the opportunity tonight. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, I need you to secure that you're going to be at that party, that you're going to be at that celebration where we walk into glory. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Dear God, I just want to thank you so much for tonight and for each person that's in this room. And God, I want to thank you that you called us, that we didn't choose you, but you chose us. No matter how messed up we were, no matter how much you knew we were going to fail, you still wanted us. And God, I want to pray for the people in the room right now who have never surrendered, who have never answered yes to your invitation to be a part of your family. God, may they be just so overwhelmed with your love. May they finally move to say, you know what, God, I need you. I don't want to wait anymore. I don't want to wait too long. God, I want to pray for the people in the room tonight who have just been living apathetically, who have been sleeping their way through life. God, would you allow this body of believers to not be people who are almost dead to start living their lives? God, would you push us to be passionate about the call that you have on us to win people to you, to work for the things that are eternal, and to share your gospel recklessly in this world. You have so much for our lives, and yet so often we settle. So often we just settle for the comfort of our mom's doilies. But God, would you push us out of our comfort zone every single day? Would you strengthen us and fill us and allow us to be people who can talk about you? Who can be people who have already found their home with you in heaven? And who go back for the people who are lost, who don't have a home help them take it back. 
God, I just want to thank you for your grace and what you did on the cross when you sent your perfect son on earth to die so that my sins would be paid for, so that I could spend eternity with you. And God, if there's a person in this room tonight, would you just let them know that all they have to do is say, God, I need you. I know that I messed up. Lord, I'm turning away from that and I'm answering your call to be a better person, to be a more full person, to live a life of purpose. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Now we're getting ready to go into a time of invitation where you can respond. Um, You can respond by coming up and talking to me if you have a decision that you want to make about your life. I'd love to pray for you and, and help you through that process of accepting Jesus. It's not a difficult one. All you have to do is say yes to his invitation. Also, you can respond by taking communion or by giving offering back to God what he's already given you. Before you do that, I want you to watch one last clip from The Hobbit. This clip is awesome because it reminds me of Paul's life. He suffered for a long time for the gospel, and he understood what it meant to have a calling on his life. You see, when God called him, his life changed completely. He went from the most scumbag of all scumbags to one of the greatest missionaries to ever live. And when he's on his deathbed, he writes his final letter. And in that final letter, he says this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have ran my race. Guys, are you going to be able to be people who, when you're dying, you can say that you fought the good fight? That you've ran the good race? Watch this clip. Bilbo's story was now over. There would be no more journeys for him. Save one. Tell me again, lad, where are we going? To the harbor, Bilbo. The elves have accorded you a special honor. A place on the last ship to leave Middle-earth.
decided he was going to live for something greater. He was going to take on this adventure. And even, you know, when he's kind of on his deathbed, so to speak, you know, rather than saying, man, I'm tired, I just need to stop, he said, I'm ready for another adventure. And I think that's the exciting thing that we get in a life with Christ.